If you have Bibles, you can open them to 1 Peter chapter 4. Additionally, if you have phone apps, uh, you can uh, open it up to the English Standard Version, which is what I'll be reading from, or it's conveniently printed in your bulletin. And let me remind us where we are. Uh, LifePoint, we're in a series called Tunnel of Chaos, and the tagline is getting through what you're going through. And I think all of us here today can, can say and can attest in our own lives, we've gone through something, something called suffering in our lives. Suffering, quite simply, is defined as your experience of pain, your experience of pain. So everybody here, I'm sure, has either gone through something, you're in the midst of something, or you will go through something in the future. And so in this series, we want to practically help you understand how to get through what you're going through. Last week, George kicked us off, and to kind of use a metaphor here, basically what he said is some, you know, suffering is really like this tornado that can run through our lives. And have you guys ever seen the film Twister? You know what I'm talking about? The 1990, I think, four film or something like that, right? Uh, tw- so it, the very last scene in Twister, uh, if you grew up in Oklahoma, you're like, yeah, now you're talking, right? This is my area, right? There's an F5 tornado that's blowing through. There's a farmhouse, and the main you know, male and female leads are there. And the tornado's coming, and they see everything shaking, so they get this, like, leather strap, and they strap themselves to this pipe that goes well into the ground, deep into the ground. And they hold on there, and, like, the, the Twister blows through, and it rips the house to shreds, and they're, like, hanging in the air. Air, like they're doing the like, you know, indoor skydiving thing, right? But they're tethered to this pipe, and it's keeping them in the ground. And that's what George talked about last week. He said, listen, suffering is like an F5 uh, tornado that's going to rip through your life. And if you're not tethered to something deep like the truth of God's word, that tornado is not just going to rip through your life. It's going to rip your life apart. It's going to tear you up. And so we've got to be tethered to God's word if we're going to get through suffering. Well, that was last week. This week, I want to fly up to 40,000 feet, and I want us to look really from like a Doppler eye perspective where we can look down on a a suffering tornado running through, and we can learn some big picture perspective on how that movement works. And to do that, let me just kind of tell you about this time in seminary for me and kind of set the scene here. Um, When I was in seminary, I, I remember we went to class one day, we're sitting around the table, and our professor just threw this question out there, and so I'm going to throw it out to you guys. You guys can think about how you would answer. The professor says this, um, when someone in your congregation, someone in your ministry area is going through suffering, and they call upon you, what do you say in that moment? Okay, so you just think about how you would answer that question. Someone you know is going through suffering, and they call upon you because you're a Christian. What do you say in that moment? How do you speak into that moment there in their lives? Well, as you can imagine, you know, one guy in the class says such and such answer, and we're like, okay, yeah, okay, that's a good answer. And then another, you know, girl says, well, I would say this, and da-da-da, and we're like, okay. And this went on for about 10 minutes or so, and finally at the conclusion, the professor lets us know his educational point he was trying to make in our lives, and he says this, listen, those are all really good things, but here's the thing you should understand. Good leaders speak into the moment. Great leaders prepare people for the moment. Let me say that again. Good leaders speak into the moment, but great leaders prepare people for the moment. In other words, good leaders, when suffering comes through, you speak into that in that moment. But if you're a great leader, you prepare everybody for suffering. You guys probably get this, right? If you are parents, you have kids, uh, the time to talk to your kids about sex is not when they're having sex, right? That's speaking into the moment. It's you prepare them for the moment. You talk to them well before they start having sex. You, you speak ahead of time. You prepare them for that. 
Or maybe you're a boss who's here today and you have employees, right? And you have OSHA standards for safety. The time to talk to your employees about OSHA standards for safety is not when they've slipped and fallen in your place of business, right? You know, they're lying there on the ground right by the red cone or like, oh, I hurt my back. It's not a time to walk in and be like, so let's talk about the type of tread on your shoes here, right? You need some, you, you, that, that's the wrong time. The time to talk to your employees about OSHA standards, you prepare them for that moment well ahead of time. And the same is true for suffering. Good leaders speak into the moment. Great leaders prepare people for the moment. And what I want to do here today, LifePoint, is I want to prepare us for the moments of suffering because they're coming. And I want to not only prepare you to get through suffering well, I want to prepare you to prepare the people that you minister to for those moments. Because here's the thing, you're a believer in Christ, right? Some of us here are believers in Christ, and our non-Christian friends, they're going to come to our house, and they're going to go through suffering, and they're going to say, what do I do? I want you, in the way that you minister to your friends and your family members and people around you, to prepare them for the moment of suffering. And that's what Peter is doing here in his letter, and that's where I want us to go today. So let's pray before we jump into that. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for Peter, for his heart for the local church, uh, and for his wise words that he has in his letter. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to, to really soak it all up from this 40,000-foot level as we look and observe at suffering and as we prepare not only ourselves but the people we minister to for the suffering that will come. And we ask that you help us to understand what Jesus wants in the midst of this. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, we'll look at here. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. And that fiery trial is suffering. Do not be surprised at the suffering when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Life point, I want us to tether ourselves to three truth statements from God's word here today. And the first one is this. If you have a bulletin, you can uh, fill it out here. Part one, we should not be surprised at suffering. Truth statement number one, we should not be surprised at suffering. If you all remember, two weeks ago we celebrated Easter, and one of the things I love about Easter is the fact that it so clearly communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to just back up and remind us of what we, we discovered at Easter here, especially if you came to Frisco, we talked about this in particular, um, but if you were at Plano, then I'll kind of fill you guys in. Um, there's this thing that happens in Genesis 3 called the fall, right? Adam and Eve are living in perfect harmony with God. There's a good tree, there's a bad tree, and they're eating from the good tree, and they're hanging out with Jesus, and everything is perfect. And then... Um, it, it's kind of like this. I've described it like this. It's like, it's like you're at that one party and you invite that one guest to come in and you know there's a rule when you have parties, right? There's always the plus one. You guys know what the plus one system is, right? I invite a guest. I tell them, listen, no one wants to show up to a party by themselves. You can have a plus one, right? So just invite somebody. Well, we always, you know, you may have been there. You throw a party and there's like the person you don't really want to invite, but you end up feeling compelled to invite them and they come and then their plus one is even worse, right? You got, oh, y'all are laughing. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. So the, in Genesis 3, what we see is the worst plus one situation in the history of parties. Because Eve and Adam decide they feel compelled to invite sin to come in. And you know who sin brings? 
Death, death, the worst plus one in the history of parties, right? You've heard that expression, oh man, way to kill the party. You know where that comes from? That's from Genesis 3, because death came and they killed the party. That's what death does, the worst plus one. And that's the problem that's existed from Genesis 3 all the way up to the cross, that death and sin are at our party of humanity and they're just, they're just ruining everything, right? It's just miserable and there's no way to overcome them. We created this atonement system, right? And all the atonement system did was kind of avoid, it taught us how to avoid sin and it had nothing for death. So that's just like, oh, okay, well, I'll kill an animal and the blood will be spilt, and that's like turning your back on sin, like, oh, sin's not here, I'll just avoid, right? And that's all that it was in the Old Testament, and so that's why the cross is such a powerful scene, that's why Easter is so amazing, because when Jesus came, he not only took care of death, at the, at the death of resurrection, at his death, he not only took care of, I'm sorry, sin, when he died, when he shed his blood, he atoned for sin, now sin is out of the picture, but Jesus also overcame death by re- being resurrected from the dead. And now death has no power over him. And because we are in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, you now have Jesus who is the power to overcome not only sin, but death. Okay? So now those two party guests, they're neutralized. The party is back on. Although where we live presently, it's like it's, we're headed to the party, right? We're playing the going to the party music. And one day when we get into heaven, it's going to be the party. That's where we are in the situation. But here's the, here's the scene. Uh, as wonderful as that is, um, as wonderful as it is, as good news as it is for believers, we still live in the world that has fallen. And so... Peter tells us, because we live in this fallen world, don't be surprised that you're going to experience suffering because things don't work like they're supposed to as a consequence of the fall. Your, your brains, your bodies, our relationships, uh, the environment itself, the atmosphere, it does, nothing works like it's supposed to, okay? Like, I look around in this room right now, and I'm just seeing a lot of really beautiful women and a lot of really, you know, handsome men, right? So there's, there's like, you know, right over here, we got some guys who you can tell have been hitting the weights and doing the, you know, They've been doing the, the powder stuff, the like, you know, protein shake, and they're just looking good, right? And we've got these ladies, and they're all looking beautiful, right? And, and as beautiful and as handsome as you are in this room, life point, okay, and you are, you're nothing compared to what you could have been had you not experienced the fall, okay? And I also look around, I see a lot of very smart people who are very accomplished, and your brain works really well, and it's just clicking in all cylinders, you're able to make money in the marketplace, and as as smart as you are, as wealthy as you are, as much as you have, you're nothing compared to what you could have been had you not experienced the fall, because your brain, as good as it is, it's corrupted, it doesn't work like it's supposed to. And the relationships you experience, especially as you experience broken ones, the reason these relationships are broken is because our, our relationships don't work like they're supposed to. And the environment, when you hear about all this like climate change stuff and people freak out about that, yes, I'm sure we can have a conversation about the human variable and all of this climate change stuff, right? But the environment doesn't work like it's supposed to work. It's broken. Everything's broken. We shouldn't be surprised at that. Why? Because we exist in the fallen world. And so Peter says, look, don't be surprised at suffering when it comes upon you. Now, here's why I say this. Here's why this is so crucial if you're going to be a believer in Christ who ministers to other people. Anytime anyone goes through suffering, they always ask the same question, which is really cleverly two questions posing as one question. And here's the question. Why is this happening to me? Anyone who goes through suffering, they ask that question, why is this happening to me? And that's two questions. Number one, it's why is this happening? And number two, it's to me. 
And if you don't operate with a Christian worldview, if you, if you just don't understand the Bible, if you've never read through Genesis 3, then you're going to ask those two questions together, and it's going to be one of those things where you're going to have paralysis by analysis. You know what I'm talking about, where you're trying to do two things at once, and you can't ever devote all the resources needed to handle both of those? It's like me when I go to Target with my wife. Husbands, do you understand this, right? You know, Target is like this store that's perfectly created for women, you guys, do y'all know this? Like you go in, your wife just disappears. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. And like, you're just like, where did you go? You, like no cell phone service works. You can't find her, right? So whenever we go to Target, Natalie and I, I walk in and I'm like, okay, what's our, what's our mission, right? I'm like, let's go on our mission. And she like has her list and she rips it in half. She hands me my to-do list. And I, I guess I'm told this. My wife just tells me that when she goes in any store, she just automatically, based on being female, she just knows where everything is and she doesn't have to like search. I go to Target, I don't know where anything is. I'm like the little kid at the museum. I'm like, I don't know where anything is. So I have this list here and I'm like, I've got to find chicken and I've got to find yogurt. Oh, like a chicken or yogurt first. I can't prioritize. I don't know what to do. And it's just like, I'm the kid. I just, I stand in the aisle. I'm like, I don't know where to go. Like, there's just all this stuff everywhere. And, you know, you would think at Target, they would be able to target you a little better about where you should go. I don't know about this. So that's my experience. And that's when I experience paralysis by analysis. I don't know if that's you when you experience that. But guess what? That kind of fear, that paralysis, that's what everyone goes through who suffers apart from Christ because they're asking, why is this happening to me? And they're not able to grapple on either one. They don't know why this is happening. And more importantly, they haven't applied that and they don't know why that's happening to them. And so this is important for us. If you're a Christian who's going to minister to other people, God's word tells us suffering's going to happen. Okay. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. So when we have friends who are going through suffering, the first thing, the most loving thing we can do is just tell them, hey, listen, suffering's going to happen. That's a result of the fall. That's a really rational, uh, rational, understandable, cosmological argument for this existence we exist in, right? Okay? Suffering happens to everybody, and it happens because humans sinned in the garden, and now we are all under the fall. See, Every culture, I don't know if you guys know this, every culture in the world understands this principle that suffering is part of the human experience. Every culture, every culture, everywhere, at all times, has always, there's never been a culture that's just like, no, there's no suffering, everything's great, yeah, nothing to see here, move along, right? No culture's ever said that. All cultures are honest. Think about it. In Eastern culture, you have Buddhism as a predominant worldview religious system, and Buddhism says life is suffering. But there's no resolve to that. It's like life is suffering, and then you die, so don't get attached to things, and then you'll be at peace. Th that's it. There's no joy in that. There's nothing hopeful in that. It's just life is suffering. Or just think about it from the art world, right? Uh, you guys know the band R.E.M. from the 1990s, right? Are any R.E.M. fans here besides Chris Tesh over here? Okay, let's see. All right. Yeah, R.E.M. They had this song, okay? It goes like this. Everybody hurts sometimes, right? And they're honest about that. And we hear this from the art world. We hear this in every culture, right? Everyone understands this. Suffering is a part of life. But what Peter tells us, we shouldn't be surprised by that because we understand that there's a fall. And so the first big truth I want us to understand, everyone suffers, but we shouldn't be surprised by the suffering. And the way we can minister to our people is not to focus on why suffering is happening, but to really guide them towards why is it happening specifically to you? What is God trying to teach you in this moment? And Peter has some, a lot of stuff we can say on that. So that's the first truth. Second truth is this. Understand this. Those who suffer in Christ are beloved. Those who suffer in Christ are beloved. 
And there's a, there's a parallel here I want to just mention. It's next in your bulletin. It's, that's, that's this. Uh, suffering in Christ is suffering in community. Suffering in Christ is suffering in community. And, and Paul kind of picks up on what Peter's talking about, and he says this. Listen, it commands Christians. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, those who suffer in Christ are called beloved. That's what Peter calls them. And beloved is this community term, and it just basically means anyone who is in Christ. They are beloved. They're part of the beloved community. And so I want you to just kind of process this in your brain and in your soul. If you're someone who's here today, and you're in Christ, and you're experiencing suffering, this is not God punishing you. Okay, if you're in Christ and you're suffering, this is not God punishing you. At no point in your brain can you ever think, oh, maybe God's punishing me. Maybe God's mad at me. No, if you're suffering in Christ, you're beloved. God actually uses suffering intentionally as a, as a mechanism to produce uh, some things in us. And he, he uses suffering to produce good. There's this verse that, that Paul has in Romans, and he says this in Romans 8, 28. Uh, and we know that God uh, works all things together for good. And he doesn't stop there. It's not like Paul is saying, oh, we just know in general God works all bad things together for good, and that's the end, and it just happens to everybody. No, no, no. If you're not in Christ, God doesn't work good things together for, or bad things together for good. And it's not that he's trying to spite you. It's just that he's a gentleman, and he's not trying to force his umbrella of protection on you if you don't want him, right? But for those of us who are under God's umbrella of fatherly care, he works all things together for good, and the verse continues, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so if you're in Christ and you're suffering, understand this, uh, God is doing something with that suffering, he loves you, and he's going to actually use suffering to produce some things in you. And while he's working suffering to produce some good ends in you, he puts you in community with other believers so they can help bear your burdens while you're going through that. That's God's second, it's his second gift of blessing for the beloved uh, people uh, while they're going through suffering. I'll just kind of tell you a quick story on this. When I was in, um, in my previous church, we had the Sunday school class of 20-somethings, and it just so happened that 99% of the people in the Sunday school class were poor grad students like me. And just a few, like two or three guys in the Sunday school class were super wealthy, like millionaires by age 30 or whatever. And they were just super wealthy. And so it was just this really interesting mix of people. We all kind of just were, we had everything in common. We loved each other. And it's like, oh, it was a really cool class. Well, I remember that a particular couple in our class, um, they got pregnant She's a seminary student. He's an accounting student. They got pregnant, and they discovered about halfway through there was a genetic disorder with their child. And because they believe in life and because they are pro-life, they decided to uh, go ahead and, and give birth to this kid, give this kid a fighting chance to live. And so that's what happened. Gave birth. Kid lived six or seven days and then died. And there were lots of medical expenses that were associated with this. And it was, you know, there's like funeral costs that are adding up. And these are just poor college students, grad students, right? And so we just decided in our class, they, they were sharing these prayer requests, so we were like, hey, we, you know, praying for you is nice, right? But we got to do something for you, right? And so we just held this kind of lunch, right? We ordered pizzas, everybody kind of gathered in, like in the student room, and I just got up on stage, and it was really weird. It was like a reverse auction. You guys know about that? Like when there's an auction, it's like, here's this new item. Who, who will bid for this? Okay, you, you, right? It was the opposite. It's like, here's this debt, this expense. Who's going to pay for this, right? It was like one of those things. It was really crazy. So we just kind of brought them up. We were like, listen, what are your needs? And they're like, well, you know, we have like X thousand dollars in medical expenses. And someone in the audience was just like, I'll take care of that. 
And they're like, oh, here's, here's the bill. And they're like, yeah, I got it. We're like, okay. And then, then they're like, well, we, we probably would like to have a funeral and we just need to buy a, a burial plot or kind of take care of that. And someone raised their hand. They're like, we'll take care of that. And they're like, well, okay. Well, we never got to take pictures of our baby. Could we like take some photos? It'd have to be really quick. And someone's like, I'll pay for a photographer. And just like, I have this need. Oh, we'll take care of it. I have this need. We'll take care of it. And then we, we passed the, the baskets and I just told them up front. I said, listen, you're going to put money in this basket and none of it's tax deductible, right? It's just going to go straight to this couple. And we raised like $100,000 for this couple, right? We took care of like educational expenses and time off things and all those things. And it was just such a beautiful picture of community, right? This couple is suffering up there. Everyone's crying. It's just this really hard time. But here's the thing. When, when people who are in Christ suffer, they're blessed. They're beloved. Because not only does God do something good out of it, but he allows us to suffer in community. It's the way God set it up. So... Two things I want to just review here before we get to the third one. Number one, we should not be surprised at suffering. Number two, those who suffer in Christ are beloved. And number three, Christians view suffering as an opportunity to worship. Christians view suffering as an opportunity to worship. And the parallel to that is that suffering in Christ produces character. So we said this, God's going to work some things together for good. One of the things he does, he uses suffering for us to produce character. And here's what James, the brother of Jesus, writes. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, so suffering is an opportunity to, to, for worship. And suffering in Christ is going to produce Character. Um, my steps or my uh, sister-in-law and I were talking about this uh, last weekend uh, when we were all together, and she just asked the question. She was like, "What do you mean that like suffering is a is an opportunity to worship? Like, what does it mean that we're supposed to rejoice in our sufferings?" And I think in her mind she had like the view of like that one albino character from the Da Vinci Code. Well, y'all are Christians. Y'all have never seen that movie or read that book. But anyway, there's a there's a film out there called The Da Vinci Code. There's an albino character, and he just whips himself the whole time with like this whip that has nails in it. It's just constantly cutting his skin. And I think that's her view, right? Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. Oh, it's ripping my skin. This is amazing, right? Just this sadomasochistic worldview of things. And, and I think people think that when they think, consider that you should have joy when they're suffering. That doesn't seem to make sense. So let me just try to explain this for you and, and bring it like this. Um, there is a, there's a medical documentary on ABC uh, about these fornicating doctors who solve medical um, uh, issues called Grey's Anatomy. Um, and again, y'all are Christians, so I know y'all have never seen this show. But um, uh, on one particular episode, my, my wife and I decided to, uh, like we were watching, and there was this little girl, and the, the situation was she had this disease where she, her neurological system was all miswired, and she couldn't feel pain. And so she kept coming into the doctor, and she would have like a broken arm that she'd staple back together, or a broken leg, and she just was like, eh, whatever, I'm... And the doctor's asking her, because she's like jumping off the roof, and she's, you know, getting in fights with bigger kids, and, and she's like, what's going on? So she kind of leans in, and she's like, I'm a superhero, right? Because she thinks if she can't feel pain because she's really tough, that she must be a superhero, and what they discover as they do x-rays and all those things on her, they discover that her body's actually dying, that, that not feeling pain is actually killing her. And I think that's a really good picture for us to understand the worshipful motivation of suffering is this, that God loves us enough 
to allow us to experience pain because pain then becomes like this warning light on the dashboard of our life telling us something is wrong. And when something is wrong, usually what we do in Christ is we run to God in prayer and he meets our need. And that cycle has to work. God allows pain to happen. We run to Jesus. He answers our need in prayer. We experience pain. We run to Jesus. He answers our need in prayer. And that is a worshipful thing. Look what's happening. I have pain. I need to go to the only person who's sovereign over my pain. That's Jesus. Guess what that is? That's worship. And so actually having pain and being able to process that and understand its significance is an act of worship. That's why Peter says rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice in that because the fact that we can, have, we can, we can process this pain, man, it just drives us to Jesus who takes care of all of our needs. And the second thing there that's related is that when we're doing this, when we have pain, we run to Jesus, he answers our need in prayer, that little process there, that little thing like we're doing this, right, that's character development. That's character development. It's God is training us to trust in Jesus, and the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we look like Jesus and we act like Jesus, and we develop Christ-like character. Do you you guys ever know or have you known anybody in life who you would describe as just a spoiled brat Right? I, you know, I'm talking, you know, you're in, you're in elementary school and a kid mouths off. And you know if you mouth off like that when you go home, parents are going to do the spanking thing, right? Or the timeout if that's your parental discipline uh, thing, right? You just know like in a million years you could never talk like that. Like I had a friend when we were in elementary school and he would just mouth off to people all the time. And the teachers were always frustrated, like pulling their hair out. And then I remember I went to his house one time and he mouthed off to his mom and his dad and they did nothing. And I was like, this can't be good, right? You're projecting forward. You're like, this isn't going to end well for this person. And let me just go ahead and tell you, this has not ended well for that person, right? Because he was a spoiled brat. And you probably know some spoiled brats. Hopefully some of you aren't going, wait a minute, I'm a spoiled brat. Like, that's me. Okay, so nobody leave right now because we'll all know that you're the spoiled brat and this is kind of awkward for you. So no one leave. Just be cool, life point, right? So this is a spoiled brat. Here's the thing we all know fundamentally about spoiled brats. We all think it. We go, I wish someone would discipline that person, Right? I wish those parents would stop preventing that child from experiencing pain. Like, have you known anybody who's like, you know, like the boss's son or whatever, and he just gets all of the perks in life? You're like, that person's not going to be a good employee. This is, this is like a spoiled person, right? They've never had to face a hard day, and therefore we know that they don't have the character that it takes to make things happen in society. What are we saying there? We're saying this is a person who hasn't experienced pain, therefore they don't have character. Because they don't have character. I don't trust them. And so here's the thing, life point. God loves us enough to not allow us to be spoiled brats. And what he wants to do is he wants to allow us to go through suffering so that we'll run to Jesus. And he'll produce Christ-like character in us. So he can equip us to handle what's going on in life. Three truths here. We should not be surprised at suffering because of the fall. Those who suffer in Christ are Beloved, and Christians view suffering as an opportunity to worship as God develops character. I want to end by just posing this philosophical question because we've established this. I think if the Bible is right, that although everybody suffers in every culture, that if you suffer in Christ, you suffer best. If you suffer in Christ, you suffer best. And so the question I want to pose to you to be thinking about And the same question I want you to think about posing to your friends that you minister to, it's this. If suffering Christ uh, is suffering best, then why would you settle for ordinary suffering? Again, why would you settle for ordinary suffering? Listen, people who suffer outside of Christ, 
what's the purpose of that, right? Okay, so you got cancer, okay, and then you die, okay, and if the Bible's right, you don't spend eternity with Jesus, okay, no one watches that movie, the movie of your life. That's a terrible movie. It's boring, it's sad, it's tragic. There's no redemption. But if the Bible is true and you suffer in Christ, God can redeem that cancer and work it for good, for his glory, for your good. He can develop character in you. He can bring people to faith in Christ because of your cancer. See, we serve, if the Bible's true, we serve a Jesus who is sovereign over everything, including our suffering. And he has the power to not only overcome sin, but overcome death and to produce Christ-like character in us for his glory and for our good. And so, why would we suffer and settle I'm sorry, why would we settle for ordinary suffering? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are sovereign. And I thank you that you are good. And that for those of us who are in Christ, you work all of those things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And I thank you that you give... um, You allow suffering and pain to happen as an opportunity to worship. And so right now as we close this kind of sermon portion and we move into the offering portion and as we move into the singing portion at the back end of the service, I pray that you'd help just right now, even right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring memories of suffering and pain to our mind, each one of us here, and that you would just Help us to see how you were there working the whole time to bring good out of that suffering for those of us who are in Christ. And if someone's here today and they don't know Jesus, I pray that you'd bring suffering to their mind too and that you would use that to drive them to the the need of Jesus, to help them understand that what they need most is to repent and to say, I am sorry for trying to do it on my own because that's an unredeemable, less than perfect suffering and that, Lord, you would use that to awaken them to the reality of who Jesus is and what he means to them. And Lord, I pray that you'd save people here today. Jesus, as we put offering money in a plate and as we uh, sing a few more songs, uh, one more song in particular, I pray that you would receive it all as worship. Lord, continue to do work and do ministry even in the midst of the suffering for your glory and for the good of us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.